0: It's not about if the Galaxy should have signed Chicharito. The Galaxy had to sign Chicharito. Now, Chicharito is not Beckham. He is not Zlatan. He is not Henri or Rooney. But he is an undeniable star with an incredible resume, a million dollar smile, and a popularity that MLS has been courting for years. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Lalas, and welcome. State of the Union Podcast. We look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. As you heard, we'll be talking about Chicharito in our Mossy Makes the Case segment. Mossy's going to be talking about the right, correct, quote unquote, path for young players. In our Ask Alexi segment, we'll be talking about the uh, MLS CBA and the Wolverines. In our back three, we'll be talking about Barcelona and so much more. But first, joining me as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, david mossy a soccer savant and a fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire mossy how are you on this monday morning
1: i am good you uh mentioned to me last week that i needed to spruce up my side of the uh studio
0: and you haven't done it but you brought in some jerseys anyway uh okay so who do we have behind you here uh who's the guy in the yellow jersey what's that
1: Uh, that is a Ronaldinho number 10 Brazil jersey also a Zay Roberto Bayern Munich jersey Now, which
0: Ronald is this because there's so many Ronalds over the years is this the original one or the second one or this is this is an Eno right this is the Eno one right correct Ronaldinho okay this is not a Ronaldo or big okay
1: there's also a scarf here from the 2018 World Cup and I forgot to bring this but I have a team picture from the Brazil uh, 2004 Copa America winning side. Brazilians remember that tournament fondly because in the final against Argentina, which we won on penalties, Adriano, before he became an alcoholic, scored a (laughs) dramatic last gasp equalizer which uh, was one of the famous goals in the Brazil-Argentina rivalry. Well, will always
0: have that. Uh, And the other one, uh, is it Roberto you said? Correct.
1: Uh, Brazilian who played for Bayern Munich. Actually, you know, our colleague Thomas Houtman, who works yes, at Fox, a yes. big Bayern Munich big fan, Bayern uh, one of his favorite players, that's somebody we bond over, Zay Roberto, you know, Brazilian. At oh, Bonnet. really? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, when it comes to uh, we were working, uh, we were up early again. Uh, no, I'm not complaining. I'm just saying we were up uh, at 3 o'clock. 2 o'clock, whenever it ended up being for uh, Bundesliga, the kickback of uh, Bundesliga after their winter break. And let's be honest, when it comes to a league to follow in terms of a race for the title, that's the one right now, I think, where all eyes should be, given what's happening over there in, uh, in England with... Uh, the uh, what's the name of that team again the red team Liverpool Liverpool the Liverpool team uh, just running away with it how many points now it's something crazy 14 points something like that whatever it is ends up being I mean it's they should give it to them now right I mean it's for all intents and purposes it was over last month but now it's really over at this point that you you know the um, the guard of honor that they do it always fascinates me the guard of honor for people that don't know if you win the title and from a mathematical standpoint nobody else can win it from that day forward what ends up happening is the opposition whoever you are playing will form this this uh, guard of honor this corridor if you will for the uh, the title winning team to go through and that can happen home or away i think it's a incredible thing i think every league should do it i think uh, that we could see it I mean, probably the earliest time ever when it comes to uh, the EPL uh, for Liverpool. And they deserve it. They are a a juggernaut when it comes to what's going on over there uh, in England. Did you watch any uh, soccer this weekend besides the Bundesliga that we worked at?
1: Watched a lot of soccer. I also watched uh, some football this weekend. Did you? Yeah, we should acknowledge that. The Super Bowl matchup is set. Uh, Uh, Who's playing now? It will be the Kansas
0: City Chiefs against uh, the San Francisco 49ers. All right. So... You have the Kansas City, uh, the Chiefs of Kansas City, and the 49ers of San Francisco going to a neutral site, right, in uh, Miami. Miami, yeah. Miami. You know, I've been to a Super Bowl before. You know where it was? Where? In Miami. And uh, you know what else happened? Uh, I have so many stories from that one, but I'll give you uh, one. So last night I was watching the uh, 49ers game. And the, uh, the, kick, the kicker, I'm always interested in the people that are kicking the ball. Uh, the kicker gets on. A guy by the name of Robbie Gould. I don't know if you heard of this guy. He's a, a longtime NFL uh, kicker. He kicked a 50 yard one last night. He's, uh, he's money, as the kids used to say. I don't think they say that anymore. In 2010, I guess it was in Miami. I know, I can't remember who was playing, I, except I think there was uh, the New Orleans Saints, I think, were playing at that point. I was there more to see the who at halftime. But anyway, I was there doing appearances and Robbie Gould was there also doing appearances because his team at, at that point, I think he was playing for Chicago, was not in the Super Bowl. And 10 years later, he's going to a Super Bowl, but he's also going back to our scene of the crime where we had a blast uh, running around having a good time. So he's going back to Miami with San Francisco. Do you have a pick for this uh, Super Bowl? Very tough Is it to close? call. Is it yeah. too close to call? Yeah,
1: yeah, very close. I guess I would slightly lean the Chiefs, but that's not delivered with a lot of conviction. I just love their quarterback, Pat Mahomes. He's incredible. Now, the halftime show is Shakira, is that correct? Yes. Um, So there is a soccer connection there. Maybe Gerard
0: Piquet will... Uh, I, I'm. Da- I, 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 well, he'll he'll be mid-season, so yeah. I'm, I'm not sure if he can get over there.
1: By the way, Alex Dowd chiming in with that response. This is the last week I'm told in which yes. you will not be able to hear Alex's voice. Right. We are efforting a microphone. For so him.
0: yeah, wait till the end of this uh, this particular episode and then hit unsubscribe. And but just so you know, he he will be heard hopefully next week if all goes well from a technical perspective we are actually uh we do we do have some new microphones for those of us that can see and hear i hope it, i hope the sound quality remains the same it's amazing here what happens when people of a uh let's say a, a higher level and, and more power want to uh come in and, and help you out so for a long time this is we have been in this studio and it's been we have been the only ones using this studio but Evidently, we have some basketball people that are coming in and using it. We're, we'll share. It's no problem. We're, just, we're the only ones here. But immediately, we upgrade in technology. We have new microphones. We got new lights here. I'm sure a lot of this stuff will uh, will be upgraded. So the more the merrier, especially if you're going to bring cool stuff uh, to make the podcast that uh, that much better. Mossy, anything, uh, anything else to add about your weekend? Uh, no. Nope. All right. Let's light this candle. As you know, each and every week, you kick the bot off with... Alexi Lawless' State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective, and this week, it goes a little something like this. From the beginning, the LA Galaxy has built and branded itself as the MLS Super Club. The team that the world thinks about first when the world thinks about Major League Soccer. The team that does big, bold, and arrogant things on and off the field. The team that gives you stars. So, it's not about if the Galaxy should have signed Chicharito. The galaxy had to sign Chicharito. They built the machine, and that machine needs fuel, expensive fuel. It is what is expected, it is what is required. Now, Chicharito is not Beckham, he is not Zlatan, he is not Henri or Rooney, but he is an undeniable star with an incredible resume, a million dollar smile and a popularity that MLS has been courting for years. He will move the needle, especially for those in the Mexican-American community that maybe haven't seen Major League Soccer as relevant. He is definitely the star the Galaxy needs, but is he the player the Galaxy needs? In a word, no. As a player, he is lethal, but he is also predictable. He is worldly, but right now, he is not world-class. He is a lone striker, but he doesn't create on his own. He works hard, but he doesn't always work smart. I don't think there is a coach in Major League Soccer who would take Chicharito over Carlos Vela, Joseph Martinez, or Josie Altidore. The legend of Chicharito was built on scoring goals, and there were times when he was doing it as well as anyone in the world. But the reality is that Chicharito no longer strikes fear in the hearts and minds of the opposition. In MLS, he will be loved, but to really succeed, He needs to be feared once again. All right, Mossy. to the surprise of no one, Chicharito is finally coming to Major League Soccer and also probably not to the surprise of many people to the Los Angeles Galaxy. This is a match made in heaven. As I said, in the State of the Union, this is something that has been talked about, bandied about for for many, many years. It's finally coming to fruition. Uh, What were your thoughts when uh, this started to emerge and finally become a reality?
1: Well, first off, I'm told there will be a Spanish version of that State of the Union monologue that will pop up on the Internet this week. We,
0: uh, and this, this goes to how... I mean, his Q rating it's not even a question right how how big he is and especially when it comes to the, the Mexican American community so much so that we are breaking precedent uh, in that I've just never done a Spanish version for those that don't know uh, I have done interviews in Spanish I speak a soccer form of Spanish and um, I can get by but we are definitely doing this in uh, Spanish so you can check that, that out if you want and I think it just speaks to how important he is especially to that, uh, that community and, and look Doing something in Spanish in 2020, living here in Los Angeles, living in the United States in 2020, shouldn't be that big a deal. But you can't underestimate the value and the importance of him bringing people into this tent that is Major League Soccer. And some people, as I said, in the State of the Union that might not have looked at Major League Soccer as something part of their sports and their professional sports template and their soccer template.
1: Well, to answer your first question, I think you and I are very much on the same page on this, which is to say, I get the excitement. I just don't feel it. I get it. Uh, An LA team just signed the biggest Mexican star of the last 10 years. He is a a massive name in this part of the world, and even from a footballing perspective, the Galaxy just lost their leading scorer. They replace him with a guy who is a natural goal scorer, who's not that old, who hasn't had any major injuries. It's entirely plausible to me. Yeah, it's entirely plausible. plausible to me that Chicharito is going to score goals in MLS, and goals win games. But it's just worth mentioning amidst all this hoopla that Chicharito is somebody whose star power is completely disproportionate to his entertainment value as a player. Usually when you talk about a guy being a bankable, marketable star that people are going to flock to a stadium to go see, implicit in that is that he's fun to watch. Mm -hmm. And I don't find Chicharito fun to watch.
0: Oh, we need to get that translated. That'll be good.
1: (laughs) On any level. That's a hot
0: take in any language.
1: Over the last 10 years, I've never gone out of my way to watch a game because Chicharito was involved. He just doesn't resonate with me in that way.
0: I mean, he is a strange player. I've always said that I would much rather mark a chicharito than say, a Jovinco or something like that and I, and I part of it comes from a familiarity, obviously the u s US- mexico not that I played against him, but I'm just saying a a, a you know constantly playing against Mexico and seeing Mexican players. He as I said in the State of the Union he doesn't strike fear he never struck fear in in my heart even though I wasn't playing but just from the, from the outside he's a very a very strange type of not strange type of player but unique type of player he he hugs that that offside line we know that he's going to be offside who knows how many times and he's just waiting for that uh, for that one chance to get behind defenses and I, as I said in the state of the Union I think at times he can be very very predictable. Physical, from a physical perspective, nobody's gonna be worried about him. You know, Zlatan dominated. Even big, strong guys in Major League Soc- Soccer, Zlatan still was able to dominate from a physical perspective. Chicharito's not going to do that. So from a physical perspective, he's not gonna do it. One-on-one type of stuff, that's not him. He makes his money in his box, or if he does break through that outside trap that he that he hugs the line at. But you're right in that he's a, he's a very strange uh, or different type of player. I do think that that he can succeed and that he can score goals with the Galaxy. The Galaxy is going to succeed not because of Chicharito, though. The Galaxy is going to succeed because they have a better defense, if they have a better defense. That's been their problem. They were getting plenty of goals up top. They were creating chances. Their defense has just been horrible. So was this the player they needed to sign? That's why I said no, not necessarily, because he's not Zlatan. Okay. And uh, tell me if you agree with me what I said while we know he is a rock star and that Q rating checks all of the boxes when it comes to, you know, the Mexican American community and, and, and certainly beyond that. But when you talk about Rooney, when you talk about Henri, when you talk about Beckham, when you talk about Zlatan, there were people there are people right now that maybe don't follow Mexican soccer or or necessarily follow even, you know, have never haven't followed Chicharito in the way that they followed Wayne Rooney or the way they followed Zlatan or Beckham. Uh, or Thierry Henry, for that matter, uh, that matter, that those players resonated more. I, I still would argue, as big as Chicharito is, that those players resonated more from a global perspective than Chicharito. Uh,
1: no question. Uh, I agree 100% no with question. that. Yeah. No. Okay.
0: And you mentioned Vela
1: in your monologue. Uh, yes. It is going to be interesting when uh, the Galaxy play LAFC and it's billed as Chicharito against Vela because Chicharito is objectively the bigger star there. But I think most people who understand football feel like Vela is the much greater talent. And you're going to see in that game Vela doing these dazzling things, picking up the ball at the halfway line, dribbling past three or four players, not only scoring but also creating, while Chicharito plays the way he plays. So it is gonna be an interesting contrast having them both on the field at the same time. Yeah, I
0: would think that the people that, uh, that, that understand soccer also would agree with you, that when we see like someone like Carlos Vela play, the amount of different things that he can do is so disproportionate to what Chicharito can do. But ultimately, it's about putting the ball in the back of the net. So, so Chicharito does the most important thing, as Carlos Vela did too. But that whole eye test, even if you're not into it, if you went and watched a game between those two players, there's, I, I, I don't think there's a lot of people that would come out of that game saying, oh, yeah, I want uh, Chicharria. Now, if he scores a hat trick, okay, and it's just about, just about goals, all right, that, that's fine. But I think from a game-to-game type of output and, like you said, a, a, a soccer type of IQ, I think that Carlos Vela is far and away a better soccer player.
1: I do wonder how people in Mexico feel about these two guys being in MLS and not League MX. And it's going to be interesting, the uh, MLS All-Star game, which is in Los Angeles, by the way, Bank of California Stadium. And this season, it is an MLS All-Star 11 against a League MX All-Star 11. And you're going to have Chicharito and Vela on the MLS side playing against the <laughs> League MX 11. So that that is kind of an interesting subplot there. You know,
0: and and part of that legend that I talked about of of Chicharito came because he scored goals at some very, very big clubs. And he did it consistently, which is why I say there was a time where, where I considered him world class. W- what do you think happened along the way? Did he get found out? Did just time take a toll? Did he? You know, we all know sometimes circum- circumstances and where you are play a part into whether you're being successful or not, unless you're Zlatan, who just continues to roll along.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's probably uh, lost a step somewhere along the way. But I will say, I know I'm being pretty negative so far, but I will say this. I know his numbers have gone down the last couple of years. He's become something of a journeyman player in Europe. I do wonder, a lot of people talking about Chicharito two weeks ago if I asked him what team he was on in Europe, whether they they knew or they had kind of lost track of whether he was at Sevilla. But I will say the, the minutes per goal is still very respectable. When he gets on the field, he still has a knack for, for scoring goals, which is why I think he'll do well with the Galaxy and Monchi he the, starts yeah the the <laughs> Monchi the Sevilla sporting director who i still have immense respect for the Roma debacle notwithstanding uh fought highly enough of him 6 months ago to, to spend some money on him they bought him for like 10 million euros so that tells me something that I, I i think you know he can still play he can still move around pretty well and so i think if the service is there he will score goals for the galaxy yeah I,
0: I i do and i want him to look we we want it from a from a selfish standpoint at Fox and I'm sure Major League Soccer wants this to go well. We all want this to go though. This would be wonderful. You mentioned the, you know, the increased, if you can, you can continue to put uh eyeballs when it comes to El Trafico and the, you know, the two teams. And that's why I say, you know, the Galaxy had to do this with what they built and what they've built over the years. So they might have seen another player that maybe was a better soccer player, but Nobody checks all of the boxes in the way that they did. And, and the Galaxy can't change from that. The Galaxy can't be a developmental team. The Galaxy can't rely on their uh, on their youth program. That's not what the Galaxy built themselves. And I don't want the Galaxy to do that. But they had to keep up. Not only did they have to keep up in Major League Soccer, but they had to keep up in their own backyard in the in Los Angeles, where LAFC has had such a, a wonderful few years and really taken over some of that attention that the Galaxy had for so long.
1: It does bother me a little bit, Look, there's a business component to any big signing that a club makes, whether you're the LA Galaxy or Real Madrid or Manchester United, and so when you sit down to analyze a move there's a footballing component to it and a business component to it, but it does it does seem like with MLS the business component of it sometimes swallows up the soccer conversation completely, and maybe I've missed it, but I haven't seen a lot of thoughtful analysis of how well Chichariza is going to fit in, Scalotto's style, relative to how Zlatan played. Uh, I mean, wh- what do you make of that? I mean, I know there was a lot thought that although Zlatan scored a lot of goals he wasn't a natural fit and him and Skeloto was sort of a marriage of convenience you know Zlatan is going to conjure up goals more than Chicharito will but it was also that thing of everybody else needs to do the running I want every ball played to my feet Chicharito is going to make more runs off the ball which opens up space for other players and how do you see him fitting in
0: I, I think Chicharito is much more of a team player you don't have yes you have to get him service but you don't have to build around Chicharito I, you know I also think that the inheriting players which is what uh, Scalotto Ended up having happened to him when he became the Galaxy coach because if you had asked him, "Do I want Zlatan?" I think he would have said, "Maybe, maybe not." But that wasn't his type of player. So now this is on him. The irony is that while this is now on on him, in that he's the coach, and so he would have had to say yes to this. The this was something that even if he had said no, I still think it would have gotten gotten done. So he once again is saddled with someone, and I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to quote that because it doesn't necessarily mean that this isn't something that he wanted. I think Scalotto recognizes that he has a very different component. I think he's much more open to uh, to input and to communication. And as I said before, you don't have to build around Chicharito in the way that you have to build uh, around uh, Zlatan. And Zlatan took all the air out of the room and everything they that did. That's what Zlatan is. Chicharito isn't going to do that. There's not going to be a lot of controversy. Uh, there's not going to be a lot of chest thumping or anything when it comes to Chirito. ultimately he's going to be judged by, from a soccer perspective, the amount of balls that go in the back of the net. The marketing perspective, which is important, and while, I mean, look, I know it doesn't, it doesn't make the headlines, and I don't think it's first and foremost on people's minds around the world when it happens, does Christian Pulisic, does that deal get done if he's not American?
1: No, no. Like I said, I think even with big clubs in Europe, it is a component of it. But it does feel like the conversation about Christian Pulisic going to Chelsea is about football first and then as like a secondary thing. Oh, there's also a business component to it. While with MLS, everybody goes straight to the business side of it.
0: Yeah. And and look, the business of Chicharito has been talked about. I mean, we were talking about even back when I was working at clubs in major league soccer and, and that component of jersey sales and ticket sales and uptick in sponsorship and uptick in interest. You know, it should be noted, though, that once again, they are very different types of personalities and stars. And while they are both rock stars, you know, Zlatan transcended, Look, Beckham transcended and was in a whole nother stratosphere in terms of transcending and getting out uh, and, and uh, exciting people and interesting, pe- interesting people that weren't necessarily into soccer. Zlatan did a little bit of that. There was a little bit of Hollywood. I don't think Chicharito necessarily is going to do that type. But he's not here to do that. He is there to galvanize and to excite uh, a segment of the market out there that has an affinity for him. And as I said before, to bring some people into the tent that either are watching uh, League MX or are watching other leagues around the world and haven't yet looked at Major League Soccer. And as I say, each and every time with these big signings, it's really not ultimately what happens in that moment. Yes, they can be seminal moments, but it's what happens after. So how many people that are introduced to Major League Soccer, and in this case introduced to the Los Angeles Galaxy for the first time, when Chicharito is done, then continue to be LA Galaxy? you gotta, you got to get them in the building, and Chicharito will definitely get people in the building.
1: So last thing for me, uh, taking in all the different variables, where would this signing rank in the all-time annals of Major League Soccer?
0: Behind the four that I mentioned.
1: Which would be Zlatan, Rooney.
0: Well, Zlatan, no, Beckham, number one. I'm sorry, Beckham, Beckham, Zlatan, Zlatan, Rooney, Henry. Henry. Kaká doesn't get in there. Ah, Kaká! I should put Kaká in there. It was always it always seemed kind of out of sight and out of mind over there in Orlando. Maybe—and look, it didn't go well for him on the field. He didn't have that iconic moment. I mean, look—even though Rooney didn't was only here for a little bit, but he still had those like, those iconic moments: the long goal from distance, the uh, you know the ball where he tracked back. Those those were viral and went around the world because he was Wayne Rooney, and those resonated not just in the. English community, I want to say English, like a British community or something like that. It resonated all over the world because of these global stars that they are. Those four that I just mentioned, those are global stars. Chicharito is not that type of global star. But it doesn't mean that this can't be a wonderful a wonderful signing. But it's amazing. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it going forward. I, I, you know, Stu Holden, our good friend Stu Holden, thinks that it's the biggest signing since Beckham. I I disagree but i could argue the other side and i get why he and others see it as such and look we're going to we're going to blow it out i can't wait to see it i, I mean we uh, you know we're doing galaxy games uh, right right at the beginning of the season we're doing galaxy games i want to see him on the field i want to see him scoring i want to see him i want to see him regain what he once was which is why i said that people don't fear him anymore i want to see a, Chicharito that is feared and each and every time he steps on the field for the Galaxy the opposition is saying look out we got big problems today. So
1: hopefully this is more Vela and less Gio de Santos.
0: Yes if you're going to go with with a player absolutely I think right now Carlos Vela is not just the the uh, you know the 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 highest possible level you can get when you're doing a compare and contrast with a uh, with a Mexican international. but just a, just a player, just an MLS player. Right now, he is the litmus test, and he is the uh, you know one, if not the best player in Major League Soccer. So uh, we'll see uh, if Chicharito challenges his throne going forward. Anything else, Mossy? Nope. All right, moving on. Mossy makes the case. All right, it's time for Mossy makes the case, that time in the uh, podcast when my good friend David Mossy makes a case about something that's been eating him up inside out there in the world of soccer. What are you casing for this week, Mossy?
1: My case is that when it comes to young players, patience is a virtue. Mm -hmm. This past weekend, we witnessed a memorable debut. Erlen Haaland came off the bench for Dortmund in the second half of their match against Augsburg. Dortmund were trailing 3-1 at the time, and the Norwegian striker promptly produced a hat-trick to lead the Black and Yellows to a come-from-behind 5-3 victory. After the game, Haaland, who joined this winter from Salzburg was asked about the differences between the Austrian Bundesliga and the German Bundesliga, and he admitted that it is a step up in quality and pressure, which he will have to adapt to. But what he could have added is, better this than starting up front for Manchester United this weekend against Liverpool at Anfield and being looked upon as a savior. That would have been a suicide mission. Holland has twice already spurned the likes of Manchester United. He rose to prominence at Molde under current United boss Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He had his pick of just about any club back then, and he chose Salzburg, where he enjoyed great success this season under Jesse Marsh. Then again, this winter, he could have gone anywhere, particularly because of his low buyout clause of 20 million euros, and he chose Dortmund. I find this very refreshing in this day and age when young players are in this rush to get to a super club, regardless of how it affects their development, Holland, who's still only 19, is taking this step by step in a very intelligent way. He negotiated that low buyout clause precisely so he wouldn't price out the likes of Dortmund. Uh, I think he is going to be a massive hit in Germany, which means in every transfer window moving forward, he is going to be linked to the likes of Real Madrid, Barcelona, Juventus, PSG, Manchester United, Manchester City, etc. Do I think he will eventually end up at one of those clubs? Of course. But Erlen Haaland will move to a super club when he's ready to move to a super club. This kid is operating by a different playbook, and he is laying down a path that I hope other young players follow. Ooh.
0: Interesting, Mossy. Uh, and just uh, if, if you're listening, we're going to talk more about uh, Gio Reyna in this context later on in the pod. So well, let's concentrate on uh, on Holland right now, right? But
1: there is, absolutely, there is a connection there in that I think both Erlen Holland and Gio Reyna are benefiting from having fathers who are professional players and Alfinch Holland and Claudia Reyna who are advising them in their careers. And,
0: and specifically the places that they are targeting and therefore going, and in this case, the Bundesliga and, you know, we... Uh, we, everybody knows we cover the Bundesliga. And so we see this week in and week out, that this is a league that, for whatever reason, I think it's just a, a a philosophy that they that is cultural, whatever it ends up being. And we talked about business earlier in the pod. Yes, there is a business component to it, but they are much more apt to give opportunities to young players. And whether it's the coach, whether it's the hierarchy in the club, or whether it's the fans, I think they're much more apt to give you the benefit the doubt and they're maybe in a certain sense more patient and maybe they 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 can see a young player and get much more joy maybe more so in terms of extrapolating it out than other clubs and other leagues around the world and that's not a an indictment on the P.L. or anything that's just the, the reality of the situation so if you have people that are advising you obviously Bundesliga is going to be one of those places that you're going to say, if that is the next step, and you're not taking two steps, you're just taking that one next step, this is a good place to go. One, you're going to get the, the playing time because they've shown a track record, in particular Borussia Dortmund. And two, from a business perspective, they are looking to use that moment and to give you every opportunity to use that moment to increase your value to then sell you on to that big super club. But you can understand, Mossy, and you can respect when the big... The clubs come calling and those, you have those bright lights in your eyes, how are you gonna keep them down once they've seen something like a super club that comes in? And the benefit of having that on your, now if it goes well, it's great. If it goes poorly, you still have that on your resume. And so what is your pitch to to a young player to do that as opposed to going directly to that super club?
1: Well, look, there there are successes and failures every which way. So people are going to bring up different names to me. But just generally speaking, I prefer the intermediate step. Real Madrid have bought two Brazilian teenagers for 45 million euros each in Rodrigo and Vinicius Junior, and they're about to buy another one this week. It's going to be announced. They bought this 18-year-old playmaker from Flamengo, Flamengo, Jainia, for 30 million euros, and I'm very uncomfortable with all this. Uh, I I do wonder if this is just some... Florentino Perez's fetish to buy young Brazilians and whether Real Madrid, who are constantly in this win now mode, are going to really take the time in the coming years to properly develop and nurture these players. I, as a Brazilian, sort of long for the days when Ronaldo, when he left Dutch, uh, uh, Brazil as a teenager, went to PSV yep. for two seasons before Barcelona. Ronaldinho went to PSG first, back when that was an intermediate step before PSG right. became what they've become, uh, before going to Barcelona. And even Neymar stayed in Brazil longer with Santos. Didn't go to Barcelona until he felt he was ready at the age of 21. That feels like a bygone era. Now, every player leaves at the age of 18 and they like the prestige of going straight to a super club. And also, Brazilian players want to cash in because that intermediate step means going to a club that can't afford to pay that big of a transfer fee. They want to cash in in a major way. So now they're asking for prices that only super clubs can pay. And we're living in this era where super clubs have so much money that they figure, sure, we'll spend 20, 30 million euros on a young player. If he doesn't pan out, it's not that big a deal, which, by the way, plays into this whole super clubs hoarding players, which Gabriel Marcotti wrote a brilliant column about last week. So I think it is a major issue. It's sort of this vicious cycle that's playing out right now that I don't think is necessarily the best thing for young players.
0: So when you when you think of, you know, let's, let's first off, let's talk about the specific player that you're talking about and the incredible upside and to come on right now I, I'm glad that he did it. It was wonderful to see. We did that game and it was it was amazing to see him come on and immediately, do what he needed to do which is just which is score goals not only that to do it in a comeback and and a win has he has he set the bar so high now that that pressure that you were talking about ironically that he's trying to avoid now it, or or is that pressure from a, a Dortmund perspective so much less than any other super club out there that it's going to be fine
1: yeah i think he's going to be fine there was a great moment after he scored his third goal he runs to the corner and the first two players that arrived to hug him were Jaden Sancho and Gio Reyna and there was a moment where it's just the three of them in the picture and it's a 19 year old a 19-year-old, and a 17-year-old. And you're right, uh, in this current landscape where the Bundesliga can't compete financially with the Premier League, they have carved out this niche as great developers of young talent, and I love it. Um, I think it's a really fun element of the league. And yeah, I think he's gonna keep scoring goals and he's gonna do massively well. The other thing about the Bundesliga, which is interesting, uh, you know, you talked recently about the festive period in Mm -hmm. England and how they don't stop. The Bundesliga is the other extreme. They take like a month-long winter break, and this past weekend almost felt like the start of a a new season, and I think it really helps winter signings hit the ground running because they get almost like a preseason to get acclimated to their new environment, so I'm not that surprised that he was able to start playing well right away. And so, yeah, I, I think he's going to keep going and, and, and scoring goals. He's going to be fantastic for them.
0: Well, look from a Bundesliga perspective, it's great because we get to cover him. We get to see what this what this rise is going to be. And then, so so for someone like him, Aussie, what is a what do you think is an appropriate stay at this level? I guess was two seasons or a yeah. season or how you know is it.
1: Yeah, a couple of he's seasons, 19, I think. So yeah, and then maybe when he's 21, he'll look to move on.
0: To the to the the, yeah. big, the big leagues and stuff yeah. like that.
1: And let me say this about the Bundesliga, which came yeah. back this weekend. You know, very exciting to have Holland and Reina breaking through, and, and Dortmund are going to be a very compelling team. But we also saw their defensive deficiencies were on full display in that game against Augsburg, and just that sort of... Flakiness that they still have. If you gave Bayern Munich truth serum right now, they would love to flip Leipzig and Dortmund in the table. If they were four points back of Dortmund, I don't think there'd be any concern right now because they think that when the going gets tough, Dortmund will melt. And frankly, Dortmund's given them every reason to think that. I don't think Bayern are as sure of that with Leipzig. I think they're looking at Leipzig and being, uh oh, this might be a team that can just keep churning out the results until the end of the season. They're not going to be as easy to blow past. So I think we're set up for an amazing race here. Dortmund will make it interesting. They'll be fun to watch. But ultimately, Ultimately, it's going to be between Leipzig and Bayern for the title, and I could absolutely see Leipzig winning it.
0: Well, you know, to finish this off, and I, and I know you mentioned it, and as I said, we're going to talk about Giorena later on. And having a, a father or a mother that has been through this type of thing, that has a frame of reference, that has an understanding, that has perspective on it, can be incredibly valuable. I mean, we, we know, I know, we've talked about before how sometimes having a parent as your agent isn't always the greatest thing in the world, but having someone that ultimately ends up being an advisor is key. We don't all listen to our parents, especially at a young age. And especially when some, like I said, some bright lights are shining and some, and some wonderful things are out there, but to the extent that, that you can take that advice and it has added weight because it's coming from someone that, that is part of your family, but also that has been there, uh, that is an advantage. And I think they, they see it, but it, Even at 19 years old, it can be hard sometimes to to pass up those opportunities. And
1: one last thing before we move on. I'm also not a huge fan of loans. And again, there are some success stories there where a super club bought a young player and and sent him on loan somewhere else where he developed. And then when he was ready, they brought him back and he did well. But generally speaking, I just don't think that team acquiring the player on loan has enough incentive to take the time to develop him properly. If he's not helping them win games right away, then he's not going to play. Because why would they care about developing him when it's somebody else that's going to cash in on that ultimately? So uh, loans to me are also a little bit dicey. I'm generally not a fan of them for young players. It's also
0: depending on where you go. and In this day and age where we talk about vertical integration and philosophy and how you're playing theoretically it's and this goes back to your point about it's not just about business you're buying this player because it's good business because you believe that that player fits into what you are doing as a club and the bigger part of the business of your club and when you're loaning a player out it's all fine and well to say yeah we're loaning them to a place that we believe in and they understand and all that kind of stuff but the reality is out of sight out of mind and so they are quote unquote developing, but sometimes they're developing at some very different types of places and they might change the actual player for good or for bad, but but it can be for bad when they're at, at different places. Anything else, Moss? That is it. All right, moving on. Ask Alexi. Okay, it's time uh, once again for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there and send us your comments and questions and concerns uh, over on the uh, social media platforms that we have out there. And we pick out a few of each here every week as we're about to do right now. Mossy, what are the people talking about this week?
1: First up, at Johnny Mo 12 uh, Not really a question, but he kind of fired off. That's uh, okay. Uh, it
0: doesn't have to be a question. It can be a statement that uh, can trigger some interesting debate and, and, uh, and talk.
1: So here's Johnny Moe. Coaching at many American universities isn't up to snuff. Mm-hmm. Raw talent is there, but many of those talents don't get the technical coaching necessary. It makes complete sense to me why Klinsman wanted youth players to move to Germany and get a decent developmental immersion.
0: Okay. well, I mean, we can go for hours and hours about what the college system is and what the college system isn't. And we've talked many times about how college soccer right now has, well, not now, but over the last 20 years, has grown out of itself. And it is a a dinosaur-esque type of uh, season and rules and regulations that were implemented 50, 60 years ago. That they have to abide by, and there are plenty of coaches out there that are trying to change it, but it is a behemoth. There are lots and lots of very good quality college coaches out there that are doing the best that they possibly can, oftentimes with one hand behind their back because of some of those uh, restrictions that we that we say uh, that we that we have talked about uh, out there. I think I think, and I've said this before, I think college soccer in general gets crapped on a lot. Some of it's fair. Uh, some of it is not fair. Some of it is uh, unnecessary. But to say that there is no quality out there in terms of the college coaching out there, no. And look, you can there's there's crap coaches in every league in the world, and there's great coaches. And yes, there are crap coaches in college soccer, and there are wonderful coaches in college soccer. I think being able to be successful, you know, take someone like I don't know Jeremy Gunn over in Stanford or something like that, to be successful at a program like that within the college constraints and the restrictions, I think it takes a really, really smart and good coach to be able to do that. To have any of your players that go through the college system and then are of the ability both physically and mentally to be able to uh, matriculate out of college and go, whether they come out early or not, and then go and be professional uh, soccer players, that in itself is a feat. So I, I, I disagree with your premise, that there are that there is no quality uh, that there are no quality coaches and college soccer coaching is not of quality. To the contrary, as I said, I believe that there are. Coaches that are out there that are doing phenomenal things with very few resources, and as I said, with one hand behind their back, given the uh, limitations and the restrictions to college. Does it and to your to your last thing? Uh, it makes complete sense to me when Klinsmann wanted youth players to move to Germany and get a decent developmental immersion. Yes, there are wonderful immersions and there are wonderful pathways, and we've talked in your last in the last segment, Mossy, about the right pathway. As said time and time again. There is no right pathway for anyone. There are going to be a million different pathways. Yes, ultimately, you might find that a pathway is difficult, and we talked about this in uh, in last uh, in last week's episode, but there is no right pathway. And you can find players that have gone the European pathway and have had miserable experiences, both on the field and off the field. And you can find them that have wonderful experiences. Yes, you can hedge your bets. And to say that the development of a soccer player, you are more benefited by going to, in this case, he was talking about going to Germany and stuff like that, as opposed to put in whatever college soccer uh, pathway that you want. Okay, I get it. And in many instances, you would be absolutely correct. But we've talked before about how you're not just developing soccer players, you're developing people and you need to give them the skills to deal with the other 22 and a half hours. And that's why I say that I disagree with this uh, person's question, uh, comment, Johnny Mo 12, as to uh, they're not up to snuff. I believe that not only are they up to snuff, but they have had to be up to snuff, and beyond that, because of the unique uh, and oftentimes challenging uh, environment that they are put in day in and day out, unlike some of the more traditional paths and unlike some of the more professional type of development paths that are out there.
1: Next up, at Gunner City. Hey, Alexi Lalas. What's the biggest realistic change you would like to see for the new CBA?
0: Okay, so that, for those that don't know, the uh, CBA, the Collective Bargaining Agreement for Major League Soccer, all professional leagues, for the most part, their unions, their associations negotiate a collective bargaining agreement. It's an agreement that is binding, and it's one that governs all of the different things. It changes, usually last in this, you know, four years or so. And the MLS one expires for, with the MLS players and Major League Soccer expires at the end of January. Uh, and so they are in the midst of negotiating. I am cautiously optimistic that this is going to get done. When it comes to the specifics in there, and I know we've talked uh, at different times about uh, what to have, and we'll probably talk a whole lot more when this gets done, or if it doesn't get done, if there, if we are in a situation, can you imagine Chicharito signs with Major League <laughs> Soccer, and the and the first thing that happens is there's for the first time ever a strike. <laughs> He and his agent will be looking at each other going, so what happens? I don't get paid? Yeah, that's exactly what happens if you strike. So it will be interesting to see how that all works out. Uh, Some realistic things. They've talked so much about air travel and charter flights, and I think that that's going to be important. The biggest thing for me will be if the restrictions uh, and the limitations when it comes to the rules on how teams are governed and how they can use specific monies are lessened and eased in order to give back, I guess, the power, if you will, and therefore the trust to the individual MLS teams, which is not easy because a lot of these rules and restrictions were put in place because the league, as a whole and the league in New York didn't trust that that money was going to be spent wisely. But I'll tell you right now, the individual teams and the owners and the men and women that work each and every day in their market, they're the ones that know better than anybody out there what their market wants, what their customer wants, the product that they need to give. And so if you give them the opportunity to spend that money in the way they see fit, that I think would be beneficial. And that's a a major thing that I think could come out of these this CBN. And it's always about money, really. It always comes about about money, more money. How's that money going to be spent? Where is it gonna go? And ultimately how much money is in there? So those are some, some things that will be talked about. As far as uh, the biggest realistic change, like I said, I think charter flights will be I- increased. And so therefore your team will be much better rested uh, when they land wherever they are going after a uh, cross-country flight. And you should hold them accountable for that when they go out there and they, you know what, the bed, and they don't have the uh, economy class flight that they usually took in the past to blame. And finally, <laughs> at Thornton Rules, this question is directed to Statman
1: Mossy. believe it or okay,
0: not. Okay, so for people that didn't listen to our last uh, couple of podcasts, we we put out there to give us some uh, you know, some some direction um, and to tell us what we should do on this podcast because we don't know everything. Believe me, we don't know a lot of things. And so your input is important. And one of the things that came up was uh, some questions for Mossy and give him his own segment. Now, that's not happening. Your own segment's not happening, Mossy, uh, at least not anytime soon. But what we have done is uh, gone out there and found some Ask Mossy questions out there. And I encourage you, use that hashtag Ask Mossy out there because I get to pick this savant's brain each and every day. You you don't. So if you get the opportunity, take it. And so here is your chance. And so uh, we've, we've thrown a couple of uh, Ask Mossy things out there. And this is the one that we have picked, right?
1: Yep, and it's not even a soccer question. That's okay, that's okay. Um,
0: just, just you talking about anything in life, Mossy, is worth anybody's time and, uh, and patience to hear you talk about what you're going to talk about here.
1: All-time favorite Michigan football player.
0: Okay, so you are a big uh, Wolverines of Michigan fan, Correct. right? Uh, mostly any sport, but, but in particular football? If you had to... Yeah, uh, both football and basketball. Football yeah. and basketball. And they've had storied histories when it comes to the hard court and the up. Uh, yes. Uh, I
1: have an embarrassing confession. When, when Tom Brady uh, was at Michigan, he battled for playing time with this other quarterback named Drew Henson, and I was a big Drew Henson guy. So which, Henson over Brady has not aged very well. It's like going to see... Being a talent agent, going to see a Simon and Garfunkel show, and I mean, I'm going to sign Garfunkel. That's the guy that... <laughs> um, But uh, no, there was a time in my life where I thought Drew Henson was like the coolest guy in the world, two sports star. This was a guy who got drafted by the New York Yankees, was considered this top baseball prospect too. And so he was playing minor league baseball for the Yankees while he was playing quarterback for Michigan. And guess what? He ended up flopping at both sports. Now, Henson didn't have. He only was only the starting quarterback at Michigan for one season. If you want, if you want me to pick a guy that really like had a, more of a career at Michigan that gave me more joy, uh, two guys I would I would highlight would be Braylon Edwards, who was a wide receiver, and Mike Hart, who was a running back, who both the were ever were
0: heard of these two guys.
1: Terrific players at Michigan. So they would be up there, uh, too. You notice nobody recently, the last, uh, I've blocked out the last decade uh, or so. As you know, growing
0: up in Michigan, I had little to no connection with the University of Michigan. I didn't have a soccer team, and I've talked about this before, but the only two sports stars, if you will, that resonated with me from the University of Michigan was the one guy... Didn't the one guy do the, uh, the the pose, the football guy did the pose? Uh, Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard, he did the pose. And so that was a dramatic type of thing. That came on my radar, so him. And then the other one was on the Fab Five, uh, Weber. Weber, right? Chris
1: Weber, Chris sure. Chris Weber.
0: He went to the rival uh, high school that I went to. I actually, uh, he went to the same school that Kate Margraff, the GM for oh, the US Women's right. National Team and Director of Soccer, if I'm not mistaken, went to. So. Those, those guys. So there was that, that, that connection. That's the only ones that uh, ever resonated with me.
1: A, a member of the Fab Five, Juwan Howard, is now the head basketball coach at Michigan. Really?
0: Yep. That's amazing. God, it just it just keeps
1: going on. And, and by the way, clearly the greatest Michigan football player in modern times is Charles Woodson, but that was a little bit before my time moving well, to Michigan, that, so obviously. I can't.
0: And uh, when I say everybody, I mean nobody. Uh, or, or, and he's okay, the so,
1: he's the Fabio Cannavaro of college football, a perfect. primarily defensive player who won the Heisman Trophy. Perfect.
0: All right, so we have added Ask Mossy to the palette here. Okay, and I know this wasn't a soccer thing, and and is uh, going forward, we will pick out some soccer ones too to really get in there. And if if. I mean, it's dangerous in there, but we're going to try to get into that incredible mind of yours uh, going forward. All right. Anything else uh, from an Ask Alexi segment? No, we're done. All right. Keep using that Ask Alexi hashtag and Ask Mossy hashtag out there on all the different platforms. uh, And we will pick a few of them each and every week as we just did. All right. Moving on. The Back Three. Okay. It's time for the Back Three when we look at uh, some big stories, games, moments from the world of soccer. Mossy, what's in our Back Three this week?
1: Well, we teased it during the Mossy Makes the Case segment. Uh, This past weekend, Giovanni Reina made his Dortmund first-team debut in their Bundesliga clash with Augsburg. At 17 years and 66 days, he became the youngest American to play in the Bundesliga, breaking a record that had been set by Christian Pulisic when he was at Dortmund. Reina following a very similar path as Pulisic. A lot to unpack here, but first of all, your thoughts on his performance this past weekend.
0: It was wonderful to see. It was, and it was, it was strange to see. Look, I grew up playing with Claudio Reyna and to watch his 17 year old son walk on the field in that capacity. And he's been with the U.S. soccer and he's been around playing youth soccer and doing very, very well. So it wasn't out of the blue, but it was amazing. It was amazing to see an American, uh, which, is, which it always is, and you, you you have a sense of pride, but for him to come on and not miss a beat. He didn't look out of place. If you didn't know he was 17 years old, if you didn't know he was uh, American Gio Reyna, you would have looked at him and said, oh, this is just another substitute coming on and, and doing well. He didn't obviously make the uh, type of impact that Olin, uh made, but that's not necessarily his job, and he's still a couple years younger. But that he's in the 18 is huge. That he's getting on the field is huge. Bodes well for the future for him as an individual. It's great for Borussia Dortmund, and obviously we look at it from an American perspective, and for the US men's national team, uh, This is this is wonderful. I think a while ago somebody asked me if I thought that he would be involved in this next cycle. I still don't think so, but if he just continues to play and do well, I don't care how old you are, if you're good enough and you're going to help this team, I still see him as that next cycle, which amazingly will also be in the United States. And talk about full circle. If someone like Gio Reyna is leading the show along with others, don't get me me wrong, Christian Pulisic and all these guys, but if he's there back in the United States in 2026, that would be something to see given who he is and uh, given his background. It's not easy to run around with a US legend like Claudio Reyna with Reyna on the back of your jersey. And he's, he's doing... He's doing a great job. And if this is only a step, what's that next step for him? Because a lot of people that believe he's not only as good, but even possibly better ultimately, or can be better than a Christian Pulisic. So... It was, it was great.
1: A lot of uh, young up-and-coming players in Europe now are sons of famous players. You've got Marcus Turan and Justin Kluivert and Giovanni Simeone, Erling Holland, who we've talked about, Timothy Weah even, and now you can add uh, Gio Reyna to that list. Does it bother you, though, that this is another young American who chose to bypass MLS altogether, just like Pulisic and
0: McKinney and <laughs> not, Sargent? Not only a young American that bypassed it, but a young American who was in the academy for nycfc that his father was in (laughs) charge of so like that it's it's a longer conversation it does rub me the wrong way but i'm look you do what's best for for your kid and what you think is best for your kid but the the whole point of having an academy is to foster talent and use that talent either by directly getting them to the first team and therefore having a player that's going to help you on the field or by selling them on and uh, so it was a little bit a little bit strange, but I, um, I'm i okay. I'm okay with it.
1: Is that why you have something of a soft spot for Tyler Adams? Because he did rise to prominence I in MLS yeah, and parlayed because, that. Yeah, uh,
0: because he—you talked about that pathway. Well, uh, if you can't see the pathway, then, it's, then, then who cares that it's there, okay? Then it makes it that much more difficult to find. All of this stuff. I was talking to someone this week about— as I was in charge of the Galaxy when we signed the first ever homegrown player. And if you don't have an aspirational element to your development pathway, then it's of no use. If you can't, as a young player, look and see the steps to take to get to where you want to go, then it's of no use. And Tyler Adams blazed a pathway and a trail and the one that leaves a positive and a useful type of uh, <laughs> highway uh, or landing strip if you will actually we'd be taking off uh, so you'd be taking off from this that is so so valuable and so yeah i, I would have a softer spot for that type of pathway but look this this Gio Reyna story story is wonderful he's still young he's still developing uh, there's all sorts of different things that are going to happen to him as he gets older but so far so good I mean that he's like I said that he's even playing is wonderful
1: I will say the the qualification failure against Trinidad has obviously elicited some strong reactions right. but there is this sort of sky is falling crowd out there they, this type of person that feels like U.S. soccer doesn't know what it's doing. They have no clue how to identify and develop talent. And those people are struggling to reconcile the fact that the U.S. does have some very good young talent right now. If you've watched these recent under-20 World Cups and you see these players getting signed and breaking through with top European clubs. And I know you bristle a little bit at the notion that European clubs signing uh, good American players is sort of validation and, and people sort of basing their opinion sure. of how good the U.S. talent pool is based on the European club pedigree. I get it. But I understand I, I mean, I, I give some credence to that. The fact that you have Christian Pulisic doing what he's doing for Chelsea. Right now, you have three of the top five teams in the Bundesliga with young Americans and Tyler Adams and McKinney and Reyna breaking through. Even Josh Sargent, Serginho Dest doing what he's doing at Ajax. I think it is an exciting time. And had the U.S. qualified in 2018 20- and gave a decent account of themselves at that World Cup. We, you know, you'd, you wouldn't have this dark cloud sure. hanging over everything. I think we'd all be talking about how, how exciting the how future. Dare you,
0: Mossy? It is not an exciting time. The sky is falling. <laughs> the 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 thunder clouds are gathering. That is. Oh, oh, by the way, who? Uh, what's? I'm to make sure I get his name. Indiana Vasilev uh, for Aston Villa came on. Uh, over Did the Did somebody
1: weekend. just text you that? Now? No, I had
0: it. I was looking at it this oh, morning. Oh, you were looking at so I had it this morning. But uh, uh, but but yeah. Oh, I mean, there's. Oh my goodness! This goes completely counter narrative. We're supposed. To, the sky is supposed to be falling. We're supposed to be horrible. There's not supposed to be any talent out there when it comes to the U.S. All of our coaches. What was our earlier uh, ask, Alexi? Yeah. Uh, it was horrible coaching when it goes on. Nobody knows what they're doing. We don't know what the development and and look, you're you're gonna say yeah, but the reason why they're good is because they went over to the United, or went over to Europe and stuff like that. Well, someone's got to start them out on a path. At least we're we're good at starting them out on the path right now, right?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. The U.S. has a very exciting young nucleus of players right now, and. Uh, to deny that is, to me is just being a hater at this point. Yes, there's a lot of issues with U.S. soccer. We can talk about from a structural standpoint and the U.S. Soccer Federation. But, I, but th- this is a positive and, and that is, you can be happy and, and about. And
0: I will tell you this. While, while these players get the attention as they should because they are good players, okay? It is highlighted and it is increased because of where they are doing it. And in that, this is why I say this. There are players As good and I would argue possibly even better that we don't know about that are playing right now that didn't have the opportunity that didn't have that pathway uh, that didn't have the passport that didn't have the timing that didn't have the circumstance that we're not talking about now that aren't over there doing it at a European environment that are doing it wherever they are that that are just as good but these guys are going to get the, uh, the attention, and I, and, and I get why that's the case. And that's the challenge, is to make sure we identify those and give them the spotlight and give them the stage to do well. But that somebody could not go that pathway, whether it's through college or whether it's just bumbling through lower, lower leagues or just didn't have the opportunity and wasn't seen in that light, that person could star for the national team four years from now. In 2026, there could be somebody who didn't take that pathway we weren't talking about, but it doesn't mean that they're not good. It doesn't mean that they're not out there. And once again, it just goes to show that the sky is not falling. And, and it doesn't mean, you know what, there, there, aren't, there aren't legitimate gripes and, and criticisms out there.
1: You know, when I rattle off the players, I'm only mentioning European-based players, but I think PomaCall at FC Dallas belongs right on that list. I think he is a phenomenal talent. So yeah, there's players both in MLS and in Europe right now that I think are, it's correct to be excited about them. But
0: if PomaCall had gone earlier and bypassed the MLS thing and then had shown up, I don't know, like uh, like Indiana showing up for five minutes or whatever uh, as a substitute someplace else, his... The way that we view him would be so much higher, and, and he would be looked at with so much more value than because of what what he's done right now. Oh well, oh well. That's, <laughs> such is the case, and, that. and I'm not telling anything, telling you anything that you don't know. This is the, this is the challenge. This is the the reality. There is perception, and the, and there is reality, and they they uh, they are both shaped by the you know, the current situation that we're in and the fact that we are still relative to most other places, still very young, in certain senses at times, uh, very, very naive. But, you know, this is is the challenge that we're going through. Anything else, Mossy?
1: Uh, well, next topic, uh, the January transfer market in Europe. I know uh, Alex Daddish Jones in for us to talk Cavani because he's been linked to Chelsea, but I'm going to go Christian Eriksen first because okay. I find this so interesting. So uh, it's been actually a quiet January window, but Inter Milan are a team that's made a lot of noise. Conte has been complaining all season about their lack of squad depth, so now they're trying to rectify that. They've already signed Ashley Young, and they're going after Olivier Giroud, Arturo Vidal, and Christian Eriksen. And I mentioned to you a couple of weeks ago that I was watching a, sh- a digital show on the keep mm-hmm. where it's kind of a roundtable show where the journalists are sitting around talking about the news of the day, and they were discussing the, your French. the possibility. Yeah, they were discussing the possibility of Christian Erickson going to Inter, and multiple journalists on the panel said that would be a step down, because right now, when you look at the current landscape, the prestige of the Premier League, relative to the prestige of Serie A, a player leaving a big six team in England to go to any Italian club not named Juventus is a step down. Now, I don't necessarily agree with that, but that line of thinking is out there. But it became very controversial last week, because there was a clip making the rounds on Twitter of two English pundits saying that, and questioning, boy, why would Ericsson want to leave Tottenham to go to Inter? And Kevin Egan, who I love at BN Sports, Uh, Absolutely ripped these guys to shreds. Said this is a classic case of Premier League snobbery Lots of people jumped on that bandwagon And those guys have been getting ridiculed all week uh, For saying that I'm a massive fan of Italian football And I do not worship at the altar of the Premier League I often criticize the Premier League for its snobbery But I didn't have as big an issue With this clip as others did I think it's at least a conversation What do you think about a player in the year 2020 Leaving Tottenham to go to Inter How does that hit you?
0: I think it hits in terms of the perception. And so if you are concerned of with your brand, and I know players nowadays are concerned with your brand, you get why it would be looked at as a possible step uh, step down. From a pure soccer perspective, you can be challenged in any of these leagues at so many different teams and in different ways. And so, you know, so I look at it I look at it as, this is entertainment, this is showbiz. And so you know how you know, sometimes you will see a, a movie that went right to, in the old days, it would be right to v, you know, the uh, VHS tape and stuff like that, but goes right, doesn't go to the theater and stuff, and some really, really big stars that are in a movie, and you might see it, you didn't know about it because it wasn't marketed, you didn't hear it, and you watch it and go, this is a really good movie, this is this was awesome, why didn't I understand that? And I look, at it, I look at it like that, just because Syria has fallen from grace, just because they don't have the, uh, the personality as a whole or the individual personalities or the eyeballs or the popularity, just because something is popular doesn't necessarily make it better or doesn't necessarily make it the best. So that's, that's the way that, I, uh, that I, I look at that, but I get it. I understand why they're doing it. And that it's, that it's the English, it it makes it that much more for <laughs> fulfilling, I guess it was from the outside when you then pile on and say you don't know what you're talking about. It's
1: funny. The English guy was making the case of you know Tottenham. It's the Premier League. It's London. It's a new stadium. They were in the Champions League final last season. But then he threw in they've got Jose Mourinho coaching them, which I think it's so funny that there's still English pundits that think like Mourinho being the coach of a club is an allure. Because you know it, this day and age, it really seems fun to play for Jose Mourinho. The 2020 version of Jose Mourinho really, sure. really is. Sure. An allure. <laughs> um, and then, you know, the Kevin Egan argument would be, well, wait a minute, Inter, you get to play for Antonio Conte, you get to uh, supply Lukaku and Lautaro, you go to a team that is challenging Juventus for the Serie A title this season, that does seem to be on the up and up again. They've been in the Champions League the last couple of seasons. And and then, you know, yeah, it's, people, it's... people also... This argument, I don't find that compelling. Bringing up the historical pedigree, Inter's trophy cabinet versus Tottenham's, I mean, I think you have to analyze things based on the current landscape. AC Milan have a more impressive trophy cabinet than Manchester City or PSG, sure. but nobody would argue that today City and PSG aren't more prominent clubs at AC Milan. If a player had a choice based on prestige, they would go to City or PSG. Uh, over So th- that, okay. doesn't, that doesn't uh, compel me but that, that much. That but this it,
0: happens in life and in the world. I mean, there's, there's a world of cinema outside of Hollywood. Okay, there is a wealth of knowledge and depth uh, and intelligence that exists outside of Los Angeles and New York, even though we're talking to people from uh, from Los Angeles, the whole flyover country type of stuff. So this, this is prevalent in all walks of life, in all types of cultures, where you have a specific situation that has all the attention, all the focus, and traditionally has been the exporter, if you will, of um, what we look at as quality.
1: And last thing on this, then we'll move on. The interesting thing with Erickson is he chose to— let his contract run down because he thought that would make him more appealing to clubs if they could get him on a free transfer. But in doing so, he created this awkward, lame duck situation at Tottenham. And it, it sounds like it's been so awkward for him that now he wants to leave in January. And so Inter do seem to be kind of the only option because they're the only big club that's willing to pay a transfer fee for him right now. Everybody else would rather just wait until the end of the season. So it is fair to wonder whether he should just stick it out a few more months at Tottenham. And then in the summer, he would possibly have teams like Real Madrid and PSG and Juventus after him too, and he can pick the best option. It does seem right now like Inter, if he's dead set on leaving in January, is the only
0: option. So, What's a transfer fee for him for six months?
1: Like, Well, so than- that's the issue. Tottenham are taking the stance that if we're going to sell him now, it's got to be for like... 15, 20 million euros. Like, we want a legitimate fee for this guy. And Inter are trying to get him for penis because they're, they're feeling like, well, the fact that we're giving you anything for a guy right. that we could just wait a few months and sign for, for nothing. It, so th- there is a bit right. of a... You know, it's funny. Uh, Inter, they're trying to unload Gol and to use that money to 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 make some of these purchases and and they're offering him around uh I mentioned Giroud they offered Gol to Chelsea as part of that deal I mentioned Arturo Vidal they've offered him to Barcelona as part of that deal and nobody wants this guy it's so funny he is going to end up staying uh with Flamengo just purely out of like not having any other concrete offer on the table which is amazing it just shows you how the way things are now uh, his age, because 23 is now considered old all of a sudden, and his previous <laughs> failure in Europe outweighs anything he did with Flamengo last year, which is fascinating. But the the upshot of that, if you're a Brazilian, is Brazil officially has a super club. Now, and I'm going to tweet more about this this week once these deals become official, but all signs point to the fact that they're not going to lose a single starter from last season and they've signed a bunch of players like Pedro and Thiago Maia and Gustavo Henrique and Michael, who would be stars on any other Brazilian club who are just going to be backups on their team. They, they're putting together a preposterously good squad by contemporary South American football standards. And so, you know, that's a conversation for another day, the implications of that. But I think you can rightly say now that Brazil has a quote-unquote super club by South American standards. And and we'll end our transfer talk with Cavani, who... Uh, has emerged as one of the more interesting names here because speaking of a guy whose contract is running down, and you know PSG has been called something of a golden prison because you go there and you make a lot of money, but then it's hard to leave because money is no object to them. So Cavani, who's fallen down the pecking order, wants to leave in January. Uh, It's funny, the newspapers I read are still talking about Atletico Madrid as the most likely destination. They're desperate for a goal scorer. Alex Dowd, who gets all his information from the English media, told me that Atletico are out, and it's clearly going to be Chelsea or Arsenal. Tottenham, so who knows? We'll see. But you know, PSG, their instinct, which, again, we talk about super clubs hoarding players, their instinct is like, no, we want to keep this guy because you never know. He could be useful. We're trying to win the Champions League. Right. Mauro Cardi could get injured tomorrow. And, like, you know, and you know, the money they would get now versus losing him for free in the summer is not that big a deal for yeah, PSG. I, I mean, for their owners, frankly, like 10 million euros is like... Unless he's a
0: cancer just a no, horrible no. person, which he isn't.
1: PSG I mean... owners is walking down the street and he drops 10 million euros, depending on how his back is feeling that day, he might not even bend right. down to pick it up. That's how little money matters to so that club, and so we'll see. The only issue with Cavani, I will say, is, you know, I witnessed this firsthand this past summer when I was in Paris to cover the Women's World Cup. He is absolutely beloved. I can't tell you how many cab drivers I asked, you know, do you prefer Neymar or Mbappe, and the answer was, none of the above, Cavani. That's our guy. We love him. He's the club's all-time leading scorer, and so if he has sort of a heartfelt conversation with PSG and says, look, I've been a great servant to you. I really want to leave now and go to such and such club, there might be some thought that they're going to acquiesce to
0: so endearing is it just his work ethic? I mean, because he he from a eye test perspective, he, he runs a lot. He always looks like he's working really hard, even if he's not. He still looks like he's working hard, and it's, it's an old-school type of meat-and-potatoes way, and obviously he scores, scores goals too, but wh- why do you think it resonates so I much?
1: don't totally get it. The way they talk about him, you'd think he came up from their youth system. No. He was just a big-money, hired right. gun sort of transfer, too, from Napoli, and, but because it was a while ago and it was less money, I guess, than the Neymars and Mbappe, they sort of associate those guys as being oh just guys that we bought Cavani's a true psg player and and i don't totally
0: get it. i think it has something to do with his style he is a hard-working sure. guy uh so yeah they absolutely love him so his his style is why i, I and mls has been talked about uh, over the last couple of years without a doubt I, I, which is why i think he would fit into mls so well he was the guy I thought was the perfect replacement for Zlatan with the Galaxy. But, you know,
1: it doesn't seem like he's ready to go to MLS. So yeah. uh, instead, he's going to stay in Europe and the Galaxy are about to sign Chicharito mm-hmm. to bring it back for a circle.
0: <laughs> I hadn't heard. Uh, yes. Right. What are we finishing up here? So uh, we'll end on background. this
1: with Barcelona, who uh, it was a little tricky for us last week. We, as we were taping our pod, Valverde, all signs were pointing that he was going to be out, but he hadn't officially been sacked yet. And we didn't know which way they were going to go for a replacement. So we kind of just had to speculate and talk about it in sort of larger terms but Valverde was in fact sacked And, you know, it was all about style of play because they hired this guy, Kike Setien, who if you just look at his resume and the clubs he's coached and the trophies he's won, it would seem like a joke that this guy is hired by Barcelona. But what he does have is he is this Bielsa-like figure who the hipsters love. I love him, frankly. I've talked about him before on this podcast. When he was the coach at Betis, I said, this is what it would look like if Pep Guardiola managed the mid-table team because they play beautiful football, they punch above their weight, but ultimately they can't win because they don't have the goal score you know Pep has benefited over the years from having Messi, Aguero, Lewandowski who can sort of provide that end product to all the beautiful football, but so now Setien gets a chance here at a big club. First game right off the shoot against Granada this past weekend, they had over 80% possession, completed over 1,000 passes, but they only won 1-0 on a goal by Messi late against 10-man Granada, against 11 players in Granada, they couldn't score. Granada had a player sent off, a few minutes later, Messi scored, and so there were two ways to look at this. The hipsters were going nuts, and this is great, Barcelona back, and then the Madrid media was sort of poo-pooing and saying, you could talk about style all you want, it still comes down to Messi had to bail. You out, and this team is going to go as far as Messi takes him. I mean, that's where, where, where you land. Is it club on. or not, <laughs> I
0: mean, what's the deal here? If really your all, your your whole philosophy and all the work that you do comes down to, well, we're going to do all this, and then we're just going to rely on one of the greatest players ever to play the game to put the ball on the back of the Then it's not really a philosophy, <laughs> and and the, you know, the death by a thousand uh, cuts or or, or or whatever. That's that's nothing new. So th- that that people are going to. Uh, gravitate and and be awed by the amount of passing i get it but haven't we gotten to the point now where we, we've we've passed that moment where the tiki-taka thing not that it's bad or anything like that but being efficient with that and uh possession with purpose. Hasn't that come into vogue much more so now? Or, or you're saying that because it was a new coach, because it's Barcelona, because it's almost a, a, a hearkening back to what they once were, that that's what resonated or no?
1: Yeah, yeah. The hipsters loved it. They thought this was like back to the Pep Guardiola days. They're very excited. No, It's interesting because, you know, all super clubs today care to some degree about style of play, but usually when they're hiring a manager, they're choosing from a pool of candidates who have some sort of trophy-winning pedigree, it's something in their resume that indicates that they could lead you to big trophies. Barcelona, the one club that think nothing of giving their coaching job to a guy that has no trophy winning pedigree whatsoever so long as he plays the right style now you you say what does that mean they don't care about winning no of course not they know ultimately they're going to be judged by that messi wants to win champions league titles not just play for the team that plays the prettiest football but they fundamentally believe that playing the right way will inexorably lead to winning they feel like they've had their greatest success the last 30 years under Cruyff, under Pep, when they played a certain style. And when they've struggled is when they've deviated from that style. So they think the mere fact that this guy is going to play the right style, the winning will take care of itself, which is a fascinating way to look it at is fa-
0: it. It is fascinating, if true. Because I would submit this to you, and I, I don't know, but I'm sure there's somebody else out there, and you might even know this. But if that is true, then at a certain point, and it's hard because you said they hire their coaches specifically to do that. But if they were to hire someone who bucked the trend and did not buy into it or told them he would and then didn't do it in that moment, if it was successful, let's say they were playing long balls and heading balls and you know, that their possession was weighed down and they were kicking ass and beating everybody. That would be the ultimate test. if, your philosophy and your style of play if that really truly is what you want and what you expect and that trumps all then in that moment when your team even though they're being successful is not doing it in the way that you want them to that's when you boo them that's when the rainstorm comes down upon you and said no it's not good enough just to win we want to win in this particular way, and maybe there has been a point where where that has happened in the past. We're still talking about a team that even when they even when they don't play well is going to win just because of the pure talent that they surround themselves with. But that will be interesting to find out.
1: Look at this guy's resume, Kiki Seti, and here are the teams he's managed: okay. Racing Santander, Poli Ejido, wherever they are, Equatorial Guinea. Uh, national team job there, Logroñez, Lugo, Las Palmas, Betis, and he gets the Barcelona job. I feel like there's a secret
0: password that they all have (laughs) where they sit down and, you know, you can have uh, spreadsheets or um, PowerPoint presentations, but ultimately they sit down and say, we'd like you to coach Barcelona, but we have one question for you. What's the password? And then you give whatever that thing is that only a certain people out there have, and they say, ah, he's one of us.
1: And I still think, by the way, he's a bridge to Xavi. Now, they gave him a contract until 2022, which tells me Xavi told him, I still need a couple of years of seasoning. It's not just a few months here. So, but I still look at Setien as sort of a bridge to the guy they ultimately want, who is Xavi, who they think is going to be the next Pep.
0: And Well, he'll take it. He'll put it on his resume. He's, you know, he's already got the other stuff. He took the, he took the path less traveled. All right. We <laughs> talked about the path going forward. So, all right. What else, Masi? Anything else? That is it? That is it for our uh, back three, which brings us to the end of yet another pod. We appreciate you uh, tuning in and listening and watching uh, each and every week. And at the end of each and every pod, we go uh, into our one big thing. And our one big thing this week obviously goes back to uh, what is going to be a very, very big signing uh, with Chicharito coming to Major League Soccer. It is, uh, shall I say... The most expensive reclamation project uh, that has ever been mounted in certainly MLS history and possibly in, uh, in soccer history, uh, being that he is going to be the highest paid player in Major League Soccer. Not necessarily the highest paid player in the history of Major League Soccer. That would be, uh, that would be Beckham. But certainly uh, right now he's going to come in and be that highest paid uh, paid player in Major League Soccer if reports from some very reliable sources out there. Uh, are true. If that is the case, then the expectation is that he is going to uh, not just score goals, but bring people in. I have no doubt that he is going to bring people in, sell jerseys, be the marketing force that people have anticipated for so many years. The reclamation project part of it comes from he's bummed around to a bunch of teams over the last few years has not had a lot of success uh has not had a lot of playing time which is important because you mentioned mossy when he is on the field he tends to put the ball on the back of the net and i go back to what i said in the state of the union i don't see him right now if i'm a center back in major league soccer i don't see enough of them saying i fear this guy And it doesn't mean that he's not good it doesn't mean that he can't return to being world-class but that is the project for squelotto for the la galaxy and to a certain extent for major league uh, soccer to give him a new lease on life which is something that he has been searching for now for a number of years and maybe this is what he needed to do and maybe this is the perfect time and maybe this change of scenery into what we know at times can be an incredibly challenging league in major league soccer is exactly what the doctor ordered. And if that is the case and he reemerges, shall we say, to uh, the heights that he once had from a pure soccer perspective of putting the ball on the net, and you couple it with what he can bring from a marketing side, uh, then this is something that I think will become a huge, huge moment. And I am rooting for him. I want him to do well. I want him to bring the Galaxy back so that it is at a level competitive with LAFC when it comes to this Los Angeles market. I want it to happen for uh, for him. I want it to happen for his team. I want it to happen f- uh, for the league. This is, this is a good thing. I have my doubts. But... Ultimately, we will, we will see what happens on the field. And it's going to be fun to watch because whether you agree uh, with uh, the decision to sign Chicharito or not, once again, this is going to be something that people are going to want to see. Not as many people when it comes to, as it comes to Beckham or Zlatan, but a lot of people are going to want to see. And once again, he is going to do something that other big signings have attempted to do and maybe so in a, in a u- unique and different way Uh, in a specific way, in a special way, that others haven't been able to do. And that is appeal to a continuing to grow part of our, uh, not just Los Angeles, uh, but of the United States. And that is the Mexican-American community out there. And this guy is bigger than life. And uh, I did uh, Grant Wall's podcast this past week. He said to say hello to you. And he called Chicharito arguably the most famous Mexican ever to walk the earth. And uh, I, will, uh, I will agree that that is potential. It's arguable, but uh, he had, certainly has the potential for what he is, what he has come to represent. And now that he is bringing his talents to Los Angeles and to Major League Soccer, we'll see how much of that personality and of that star status uh, is bolstered by his arrival here. The other thing before we go, uh, Masi, uh uh, Grant Wall wanted to say hello and that he loves uh, to hear you pronounce things different ways, including the different ways you say Barcelona. Sometimes you do it with a th. Sometimes you don't do it with the uh, the Barcelona. And he, wa- he was laughing because uh, last week you pronounced Disney Plus as Disney Plus, which still remains to me a mind-boggling type of pronunciation out there and a lot of people this week got to me and said what the hell was going on with david mossy's pronunciation of disney plus as disney plus
1: oh believe me i i'm well aware i've become a laughing stock <laughs>
0: uh, it reminds me of that become no you're it not it reminds
1: me of that seinfeld episode where elaine sends a christmas card with her nipple showing and everybody right. at work calls her nip <laughs> uh, everybody calls me plus now i'm the plus guy it's uh, <laughs>
0: Well, we love it, uh, and I love everything that you bring uh, each and every week and, and all through the week in terms of uh, the incredible information that you provide to all of us uh, at Fox. All right, uh, we are going to uh, head out of here. We will talk to you again and see you again uh, next week. We thank you all. Please download, please subscribe, please review. Send us your Ask Alexi questions out there. Send us your Ask Mossy questions out there uh, on all the different platforms out there. And whether we use it or not, a lot of times we will respond because it uh, it stimulates debate. It stimulates conversation. Uh, A lot of it does make it in different ways to the podcast, even if it's not directly. So uh, keep those coming. And we thank you for doing that. Anything before we go, Mossy? Nope. All right. Size the day.